Three, two, one. Oh, oh well, shit. I wasn't ready for the clap. Oh, and you did, I don't know why we, I yeah, decided to assume responsibility there. I apologize. <laughs> just, we, we haven't even explained the clap. The clap is a ritual. you got to get it right. <laughs> oh, Lord. It's the clap. <laughs> Everybody knows the clap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the clap. <laughs> you count. You, you do the clap. Joran, can you yeah, tell we a... run a tight ship here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. This is that that keyboard, by the way. You won't hear a thing. Oh, I thought it was a typewriter. Nice. <laughs> nah, that's Daze's shit. No, <laughs> I thought it was know. a typewriter. <laughs> what, if, what if what if our like reference, the clap reference, is just my clacks on my keyboard? Like three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll sync you up. Yeah. She's got one of those old school mechanical keyboards that after you type a paragraph, you've got to push it back to the side. Like <laughs> <laughs> Daze Dude. still has ink ribbons. <laughs> <laughs> you Resident Evil fan, you. Oh, hey, man, they save your game. Hey, I'm Fingers. Hey, everyone, this is Days Ahead. And I'm Nitroid. You're listening to the Kojima Frequency. Uh, yeah <laughs> one time i was on the phone with amazon support right and like while they were talking i was trying to pull something up on my computer and you know these guys they have a quota like you know they're supposed to be fast as well but he was like you type really fast did you know that <laughs> what's your wpm <laughs> last time i checked it was like 120 Damn it, you beat me. You beat me. I'm like 105. God darn it. Dude, it's that manic energy, man. It it types up the words before you can think them. I can't let that stand. (laughs) Nah, dude, it's all about being like an OG gamer and doing Mavis Beacons (laughs) typing school and like (laughs) learning from the best. Oh, that was it. See, I I used Mario Teaches Typing, so like I'm I'm behind Uh, the curve. Typing of the Dead's good, too. (laughs) Oh, Uh, I love Typing of the Dead. Yes. Mm. God, I got to dig out my Dreamcast. It's sitting in the closet and mothballs. Just got to get that thing cleaned up. It's like the perfect game to emulate on the PC. It is. That's Just weird. Any, any typing game. Yeah. I've emulated like three Dreamcast games, and they were like Sonic Adventure, Hydro uh, Thunder, and Seaman. I did Seaman too. <laughs> typing of the Dead's on Steam, as is Typing of the Dead Overkill. Bullshit. Uh, not bullshit. I play them like every Christmas. Oh my god. Okay, I know what I'm getting later. I'm really gonna push this new computer to the limit. I'll give you that for Christmas. Yes. It's awesome. How about that? Oh, yeah, you got a new computer. Oh, that nice. probably kicks ass. Yeah, yeah. I've been playing landscape photography simulator in Death Stranding. <laughs> awesome. Seriously, I'm just playing. I'm like, I'm not playing the game. I'm just making wallpapers. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> Just crank up all the settings. Like it actually works. I've been I've been rocking. The joke here is I've been rocking a MacBook uh, since 2014, and that's my computer. And uh, that's that's it. Finally got to upgrade. So I finally came home. I came home to Windows because Apple is pissing me off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Welcome home. I still like the iPhone. Yeah. Wow, that was, I could feel that. <laughs> Damn. Fuck Apple. 
<laughs> yeah, I have no room to talk because I still actually use a MacBook for my uh, video editing and music and stuff. So, <laughs> no, see, that's the one thing that's good for. Yeah, I love Mac OS, but like they're changing so much about it that I had to bail. Yeah. By the way, I've been wanting to say to you for a while, uh, I apologize if I got testy with you that one time on Twitter. It is really hard to detect tone on that platform. Oh, big time. Yeah, no no worries at all. I mean, that's uh, it, it's difficult to have any kind of conversation on, on Twitter. So, yeah, no no worries. I, yeah. I was probably, you know, testy cool. coming into it, too. So it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's Metal Gear, man. This is serious business. Yeah. <laughs> it's deep waters out here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hostile territory. Yeah. Oh no. No, that's the thing, man. It's all it's all in good fun. For sure. And I understand, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's a good topic to start with or what, but I, I can totally understand why, you know, I've thought more about it since then and, and you know, the whole Last of Us Two thing. It's like you can't really have a a second Metal Gear Solid two, you know. It seems like it's the game is good, but to give it that kind of accolade, uh just because it you know, Metal Gear Solid 2 didn't have the benefit of there already being a, an MGS2 to sort of draw from. So I can understand why people are a little hesitant to declare it, you know, the next, uh, the, the second coming of that game. <laughs> yeah, that that episode alone just caught like a lot of backlash. We were like, hey, uh, there's people saying that uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 is kind of like uh, Last of Us 2 or, or the other way around. And people were oh just like, my what God. the fuck? Why would you even mention those two together or like it it kind of did uh, it did do a thing that there's just people are people are ravenous on the internet man oh yeah i think you hit on something that uh i was thinking about actually where part of the reason that it doesn't quite work is because it, it's kind of like a magic trick it only works once mm-hmm. once you've seen the trick and you know what the trick is it's not going to work the same way again yeah yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And so many people have tried that same trick since MGS2. Like, like everybody who was inspired by that game growing up is now kind of entering development. You know, they're they're becoming developers, uh, and and you're seeing that influence come out big time. Yeah, and you know, I think there's also somewhat of a tendency, at least you know, from my standpoint, where you see the game getting dogpiled so much, so it's almost a, a knee-jerk reaction to just you you like ratchet up your praise of it so you end up in a a situation yeah. where you're just pra- overpraising it really because you just feel like it's getting, you know, kind of uh attacked a bit and but that's that's no reason to to resort to such a hyperbole. I mean, there there are I would still defend I think Last of Us 2 is you know maybe uh hated on maybe more than it deserves I think it's a good game but you know it doesn't have to be MGS2 level for it to still be a good game <laughs> right yeah it was fun stealth yeah M- MGS2 is kind of a sacred cow in the Metal Gear <clears throat> fandom so big that time kind of drew some ire oh yeah and that's the other thing you know is not to go on and on about it but you know, if you think about just technologically and stuff, it just seems like Metal Gear Solid 2, just out of the gate, was so much more of an important game, you know, because of where the PlayStation 2 was at and how closely tethered it was to that console. And, you know, there was, I don't have to tell you you guys, like, there are so many things, you know, so many uh, firsts that MGS2 achieved that, you know, again, it's it'd be difficult to, to really uh, accomplish something like that again. But, you know, I'm biased, obviously. <laughs> No, I agree, man. It, it was. It was just like a big landmark for gaming in general. It was funny <laughs> at the time because there were interviews with a lot of uh, PC developers who were like, how did this guy do this? Yeah. 
on a, on a PlayStation. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do remember when, yeah, everybody was making that, that comment, and then Kojima's response was like, uh, we had to tone it down. Like, you guys really think these graphics are good? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so just to kind of break it down for you, Futura, mm-hmm. um, we have sort of three sections uh, with the podcast. Uh, one is called Codec Moments, where we kind of go over the topics of the day, kind of add our commentary. Um, it's almost like a Christian class where, like, you have to apply the topic to Jesus, except that it's Metal Gear. Um, <laughs> that's a great analogy. <laughs> that's been my. That's been my like. I'm not cutting that day. <laughs> oh fuck! That's that's been my strategy for this podcast, like all along. So I'm glad you guys oh are my like God. aligned. That's perfect. Uh, and then we have topics, which <laughs> we have topics, which is. You know, in this case, you are the topic, um, and you know we'll be we'll be talking about you and asking questions. Uh, and then finally is the Q and A. Uh, we pick up questions from fans. Some of them are like interesting; others are just like, "Come on!" Um, <laughs> but you know, obviously, we want input from our guests when we ask those questions. All right. Uh, so yeah, any questions before we start? No, no, it sounds great. All right. Yeah. So this week we got Joran Lee, aka Futurist Sound. On the show today. How's it going today, buddy? Pretty good. How are y'all doing? Doing good. You've got a YouTube channel that's pretty much centered around Metal Gear, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, man, I, I've been, you know, like, an admin on the and kind of, like, seen a lot of the people come in and out. But, like, you kind of popped up out of nowhere, like, in the past year. Yeah. All of a sudden, like, your channel just, like, started booming and popping. And I was like, whoa, who is this guy? And I, I, uh, I subscribed and have just been watching ever since, man. So... Awesome, man. Yeah, thanks for the support, for sure. It's It's been a crazy ride, and not to use a cliche, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no problem, man. So how long have you been making videos? Oh, I'd say since Phantom Pain, so it's about five years. Gotcha. Yeah? It's not usual that you see uh, Metal Gear videos take a more academic approach. That's kind of... Uh, do you think that's what's setting you apart and kind of kind of boosting your channel a bit? I s- Sorry, I know that's yeah. kind of a cold question to ask, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Um you know, that you tend to kind of go into history and somehow that seems to have resonated with a lot of fans. I think so, yeah. I mean, it's it's a delicate uh, sort of balance to try to strike, you know, because uh, I, I try to think about what I do as sort of a, a gateway for, you know, for people to do uh, more research on their own and stuff. And I'm always, you know, behind the scenes kind of worried, you know, that I'm overstepping my pedigree somewhat, you know, I'm, um, but I, I definitely think that's part of what sets me apart. And, you know, the, the format, uh, that I pretentiously <laughs> call, uh, you know, the Eve or electronic, uh, video essay, whatever the whole idea behind it was, yeah, to, I, I sort of looked at YouTube when I started and I thought, you know, th- there's a lot of content out there that's just uh, sort of people talking, uh, you know, shooting from the hip kind of a thing. And I thought, well, it, my background, you know, uh, in college and stuff, you know, I, it was in uh, English lit and philosophy and stuff. And I just thought, well, you know, I could combine some of my skills here and do something that's a little different, you know. And I think that's that's what's sort of been, you know, helpful for, for me is to just do things a little bit differently. But also, you know, I just I just play the games over and over again and <laughs> really try to the, – the ones that seem to really resonate with people uh, are the ones, you know, like I did, uh, you know, what happens in uh, MGS5. 
uh, where, yeah, just doing deep dives and bringing in, you know, the context of what you're, you know, talking about, you know, the, the historical context, uh, sometimes the political context, although that can get dicey, you know. Uh, just, yeah, trying to talk about the games in ways that I don't see a lot of other people doing. It's fu- it's funny you mentioned your background because that was actually going to be our next question. Yeah, for yeah, I was actually going to ask you, but you kind of answered the question for us. We figured that it would be something in like history, uh, English literature is, is definitely I can see that kind of working in there. Um, but you know, one thing we did notice is that not both in a sense of content but also presentation. Um, it's a very academic format. Um, and like you guys said, it's, it's not something you typically see. So like Nitroid said, was like, as we're watching these videos, it's like, this guy totally knew history. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that uh, some, some of my viewers, like, they, they seem to think that, like, uh, that I know this stuff beforehand, you know, and I, and I totally get why that comes across. But honestly, usually the, the actual process that I go through is very, like, research-intensive. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, and that's honestly why sometimes I'm so anxious when I put out a video is because there's always a limit to how much you can, you know, feasibly learn and, and, and how well you can present something, you know, if, you, if you're not totally an expert on it. And I don't, I don't try to present myself as an expert. I guess you could say I'm kind of a dilettante in everything that I do. And I, I just try to bring together th- different sort of uh, uh, inklings in, in different topics, I guess you could say, uh, yeah, and, and just try to present it in a way um, where I just give people a sort of an insight into it. But um, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I think it's really cool, man. Like that's that's something that my brain kind of always does too with with either real life events or while I'm playing Metal Gear, I always like associate it with something else. And, like I think it, I think it like gets annoying like <laughs> for other people too. I'm like, oh yeah, that's like this one thing in Metal Gear where uh, <laughs> you know like the CIA director is like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> So. Yeah, you hear little terms like DARPA chief in the news, and you're like, oh, I know what that is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, for me, what really kickstarted it was Phantom Pain, because I got swept up into the whole, you know, uh, just the mania around that game and trying to track. And I was seeing other people, like on Reddit and on other platforms, you know, co- coming up with this stuff that was just incredible. You know, like finding yeah. stuff about, uh, you know, various uh, plants that are referenced in the game or whatever. And it's just, you know, it's such a, a, a deep <laughs> dive you can do on all the little things that are being referenced and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's really a testament to the games that there's just so much to unpack there and there's so much to talk about. Uh, yeah. So I guess I got to ask then, uh, given the sort of depth that people go into in investigating MGS, the what do you think about Never Be Game Over? Oh, I was I was sort of a part of it in a way. Um, I mean, I know it has a bit of a reputation, you know, and they they even joke, you know, you know, tinfoil hat and all that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it, they've definitely there are times that I felt that the subreddit was kind of going overboard, you know, uh, assuming or, or thinking on any level that like you know the whole fallout between. Uh, Konami and Kojima was somehow part of a ruse and all this, you know, I think there are even still people, you know, who think that that chapter three is coming. Um, Oh, there are. Yeah. And (laughs) at that point, I feel like you've gone so far through the looking glass, you know, that you're you're sort of, you know, uh, not to mix metaphors, but you're just sort of chasing phantoms at that point. And that's something also that made me think, well, I should maybe do videos. It's because I thought, well, someone who's not a, a total conspiracy theorist, 
But at the same time, you know, <laughs> someone who's willing to, you know, entertain some pretty wild ideas, like that's sort of where I wanted to situate myself. And yeah, but I, I like the subreddit. I think it's cool. It's it's a great fandom, Metal Gear. There's all different types of people, and you know, people reach out to me sometimes that I'm I'm so floored by. You know, like I, I had somebody reach out who they said, you know, they're actually from uh, Nicaragua. You know, and they they had family that uh, you know went through some of the. Civil War and so on there, and uh, they had a lot of interesting, you know, experiences to share. And hopefully, one day I'll be able to convince them to do an interview or something. I'd really like to share that with other uh, other viewers. Anyway, so this might be kind of a trite question, but was the focus on real world history what drew you into Metal Gear, um, or or like how did how did you get into the series? Like what brought you in and started you kind of on the path? Oh man, yeah, I know I've been playing since I was a kid. You know, uh, Metal Gear, I, the, the first uh, Metal Gear game I played was MGS2 when it came out. Um, and I think I was 10 years old. <laughs> um, oh, God, you're making the, me feel old. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's, I, it goes back for me that far. And, you know, it's been a, a constant presence in my life, you know. And uh, I certainly think... Uh, that it's 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 sort of the other way around. It's influenced my interest in history and philosophy and all these things because yeah, they're, they're just such gateway drugs. And in a way, that's what I try to do with my own format is you know do on YouTube you know as much as I can uh, measure up to the 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 standard that's been set by these games. You know, uh, uh, pr- present people with a sort of gateway drug to to finding out more stuff about the world and. I mean, it goes back to a quote. I think you know you can find it on. Uh, uh, there's a website that they do a lot of really uh, awesome uh, translations of like interviews of Japanese games develop game developers and stuff. I think it's called uh, Shump Translations or something like that. Shmup, shmupulation. That's it. Or, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And uh, you may you guys may be familiar with it, where you know uh, they have one Kojima talking about Snatcher and what went into the process of making that. And th- there is a quote from that that always kind of stuck with me ever since I read it, which he said, you know. He, he makes games uh, not just to be something that you play just to pass the time, uh, but that they're games that, that, that have, a, have the potential to have a profound uh, effect on a certain type of person who plays them. And he doesn't necessarily try to make games for the lowest common denominator or something that everyone is going to enjoy the same. He just tries to focus on a very particular kind of person, maybe an obsessive person or somebody, you know, who's willing to to uh, to explore some of these things that are raised by the game. Uh, th- there's just a specific kind of person. And I think that I am that kind of person. And I'm sure you guys are, too, being such big fans, you know. But that's what it's all about, is doing, making a game that's more than just to pass the time, but that actually communicates something to, to a specific audience. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and he's kind of a habitual reader anyway, so um, a lot of people like to point out that his games tend to end up being prophetic in a lot of ways, but really it just comes down to him being well-versed in history, in scientific literature. I mean, he will read scientific journals just to get ideas for speculative technology. Yes. Uh, the white the white blood in Police Knots is a great example of that. Oh, they had that in the 1980s. Wow. It's uh, called Fluosol. What? Yeah, yeah, that was an existing technology in the 80s. It was white artificial blood. It was called Fluosol. That's insane. <sighs> and it was it was out of Japan. So, I mean, like that's that's the kind of thing he does. So, yeah, I definitely get where you're coming from there. 
Yeah, and I guess it also kind of goes back to Kubrick in a weird way because it's it it, it kind of reminds me of a similar approach where it's it's a uh, it's almost like the actual game that you get at the end of the process, just like with Kubrick's movies. Like it's almost like that's just the surface of what's really there. There's so much more. I, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but like when they made 2001: A Space Odyssey, you know, they spent so long. Uh, uh, working out details and stuff that the audience is never actually going to see, but it's just sort of there to ground the world of the film, you know, in a certain kind of plausible reality. And I think, to your point, you know, I mean, there there is a uh, a a tradition or not tradition, but there it's, there's an established thing where they use even the U.S. military has used. Um, science fiction writers to come up with uh, plausible scenarios to run simulations and stuff. It's called, uh, it's actually called Red Cell. Um, although that name... Yeah, I've heard of this. Yeah, the name also, it's kind of confusing because if you try to look it up, Red Cell was also an anti-terrorist uh, training group, which I think, you know, Dead Cell may be based on. Uh, and it was founded by uh, uh, Dick Marcinko, the same guy who, who, to my understanding, founded SEAL Team 6. But after, oh, yeah, I just got that book. Yeah, yeah it's meaning to get around to reading. It's that. crazy, but uh, but after nine eleven, from my understanding, they they adopted uh, the name Red Cell to to be something different, which is yeah, hiring people. It, it, it sounds like something out of Metal Gear, you know, uh, hiring oddballs and, and 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 writers and people from the humanities to come in and and draft as as plausible scenarios as possible uh, for them to study. So yeah, it's it, you know, it's an established thing for speculative fiction for sure. I'm pretty sure that the Red Cell, uh, the 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 terrorist training group, yeah, um, was the basis for Dead Cell. Um, but you might someone out there probably is gonna you know yeah. citation needed on me there. But I, I I'm fairly certain he's mentioned that at some point. It seems it seems that that's pretty st- yeah. We have a pretty strong reason to assume that, especially when they're they're mentioning you know with SEAL Team Ten in MGS two. That seems to be itself a nod to SEAL Team Six. You know so right. And they're found and, and yeah. it goes into details <laughs> where the commander of Red Cell was even. Um, if I remember right, he was brought up on charges for fraud. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a there's some interesting parallels there. There's a lot of there's a lot of smoke. There might be a fire. <laughs> and what's really funny about that is that he went on to become like a a, a, a pundit, I guess you could say, and a writer of fiction. He writes uh, Dick Marcinko to, today writes uh, 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 Tom Clancy style uh, spy novels. <laughs> And he even has a game where you can play as Dick Marcinko and break. He has a game. Yeah, you can break North Korean oh, people's necks uh, as, as his. What was that Rogue War? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Oh that. my gosh, I didn't realize. Deep cut. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's a yeah. Couldn't believe that when I found that out. It's too perfect. That is fantastic. Yeah, I may have to give that a shot now. Yeah. Yeah, I think he even does the voices like for for his character. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh well, he's a he's a pretty humble dude then. Very he? yes, very humble. Oh, if you try to read his book, you'll have to like hold your nose. Honestly, a lot of the stuff he says. But what's funny in the book, he says one of his uh, one of the co-founders of SEAL Team Six, according to him, goes by Snake, which I thought was a funny coincidence. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, information we're not supposed to know. Yeah. Does he have like long hair and an eye patch or a bandana? Oh God, I wish no. Uh, he does have long hair, but no eye patch. Sadly. All right, just want to double check. Jeez. Yeah. 
So kind of moving on, what uh, games would you say interest you in kind of the same way as Metal Gear? Have you ever thought about kind of going into other series? Oh, man, that's a good question. You know, I sort of based the, uh, well, I tried to branch out a little bit with different videos, but they just don't get as as many views because I think most of the people who are subscribed to my channel, you know, they kind of want the, the same thing. Uh, there, I, I would love to someday be able to pivot in, into just being somebody who writes about games generally and not only Metal Gear. Um, that being said, it's di- you know it's difficult to to think of a game that that I feel like you can do as deep of a dive. Where you, I would I would kind of be worried if I did it with another game t- too much uh, that I was just sort of like uh, again sort of seeing phantoms, you know. Uh, but th- you know. Gosh, I mean, I, I I've done videos on Silent Hill, the Silent Hill series. I love that. Um, um, I don't know. I mean, there, there there are a lot of great games out there. I try to stay abreast of the new games uh, and and play. I you know I'm I do feel that people who love Metal Gear in general, uh, and maybe we can talk about this more later on. They they very much like we were saying earlier, you know, in the broadcast. Uh, they put the older ones, uh, that older era of games, kind of on a pedestal. So in the future, I would love to be able to have an opportunity to talk about newer games more often because older games are great. But you know, it's uh, I, I want to try to fight that inclination to just stay stuck in the past. I guess you could say. I guess there's only so much you can learn from them. Yeah, and I think past a certain point, it's not a good idea to put them too much on a pedestal because then you kind of close yourself off from new experiences and new approaches to game design and stuff that have come, you know, uh, of age since. Like you you were saying earlier, you know, of these game developers now who are influenced by Metal Gear, you know, who are taking it and moving it in new directions. You know, I, uh, I love Papers, Please kind of comes to to mind. Um, it's just, a, 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 it sort of grounds you in a in a world in a, in a way that kind of reminds me of Metal Gear, but yeah. I was going to say, have you played uh, the games, other games from that developer? I think there was one where like you have to manipulate a, a newspaper oh, during. Yeah. yeah. Oberdin you're talking about. Yes. Oh yeah. That, yeah. That's one of them. Yeah. Um, and then there's another one. I forget what the name is, but it's sort of like papers, please, where you're in like an authoritarian government, um, probably in the Eastern Europe. And what you have to do is you have to pick and choose stories that you put on the paper mm. um, to start a resistance. But obviously you can't make it like face value. You have to figure out some way to kind of integrate it while also having the propaganda. So I think that kind of adheres to what you're describing, like, you know, being open to new experiences and how those new experiences are able to reflect the, the message and the tone of the game. Yeah, that's that sounds awesome. I'd love to play that. Yeah, um, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, man. So on the subject of chasing phantoms, I've got to ask you, what's your opinion on the notion that Metal Gear Solid V is supposed to feel unfinished intentionally? I know that's kind of a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I was going to basically say is that at that point, not to get too bogged down in philosophy or whatever, but it's almost an unanswerable question because at that point, you don't really know, like, how do I put this? It's like... It's a perfect alibi for a bad game. Well, that's also very <laughs> I'm true. not saying it's bad. Yeah. I'm not saying it's bad. I love Metal Gear Solid V, but if yeah. you were to make a bad game, it's a great... It's a great excuse. Oh, it is. It definitely is. And I mean, you know, I am inclined to, I have argued that before, and I am inclined to see 
uh, some value in that point of view, but I'm not going to say definitively that that's the case because there was just so much going on behind the scenes that we definitely do know, you know, was real with the turmoil, you know, going on there and that being uh, Kojima's last game for Konami and all that. So it is also, if the, 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 the sane part of my brain wants to say, it's more likely that to the extent that it was left unfinished, that that was not intentional. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's sort of the, like you can't necessarily know what's a coincidence and what's intentional. Right. And anybody who says they definitely know that it, it, it was meant to be uh, unfinished, I'd say, well, that's, that seems a bit of an overstatement of what you can really know or really say. And again, it speaks so much to the themes of the game, and I think that's why people are so taken with this idea, myself included, uh, but if I was being really honest and, and, and really uh, uh, clear-minded about it, I'd have to say, well, there's really no way to say for sure, you know? Yeah. But what do you guys think? <laughs> oh, I think it was a finished experience, personally, um, minus a few things that they... Well, okay, this is kind of a, a difficult question because software development is isn't so much uh, a thing where you have a, a start and a finish. Right. It's kind of a process, and you just kind of stop when you... Okay, this is a bad way of putting it. Daisy, you want to help me out here? As, I was going to say, I, I think we're in the same mindset here, but yeah, you know, I wasn't going to say programming's a sprint because that's kind of like a pun. Um, but yeah, yeah I, pro- I get your programming, joke there. <laughs> programming can definitely, definitely be complex in a sense that, um, you know, there's this technical level that you you have to get to in order to express, I guess, whatever tone or message you, you want to say, convert or display. Yeah. Um, however, on the other end, uh, it comes with a lot of, you know, complexities. Um, you know, you change one aspect of the code and then like some other module just gets fucked up. Sure. Um, I hope that's what you're trying to answer, Nitroid. Is that, is that kind of Yeah, fitting? kind of. It's one of those things where every project's going to have a list of things that they want to include and not everything might make the cut. You know, things might be left out in the final version. If we were going to say because, you know, A, B and C didn't get included in the final game, we'd have to apply that same logic to every Metal Gear game in the franchise. Every single one has had content cut out. MGS2 had the tanker escape and and things like the Mantis mask. MGS4 had entire areas cut out. So are those games unfinished? You know, it's kind of it's kind of uh, an impossible question to answer. And and on this in the sense that feeling unfinished is harmonious with the sort of meta aspect of Metal Gear Solid V. Um, it's not the first time that this question has come up either, because you can look at Metal Gear Solid 2 and the, and the massive amount of cut scenes and, co- and Kodak conversations that the game has, and one of the arguments I've heard against, or, f- or rather for that, is that, well, the game is about, you know, uh, uh, the overload of information, so that's sort of a of meta expressed in gameplay. The fact that you're constantly being fed all of this information, most of it not even useful. Like, why are we learning about Vamp's sexual preferences? How, <laughs> what, what does that, how does that help us in the game? Well, it doesn't, but it's another piece of junk information that you've now got to process and deal with. Yeah. Uh, you go to Metal Gear Solid 4, and... Um, you know, the, the, the old-fashioned does-it-suck-on-purpose thing. And not everybody agrees with that, but, like, that's one of the arguments. So, like, I mean, the, the you know, the meta in alignment with the gameplay has always been a factor in Metal Gear, and 5 has 
definitely an example of that being the loudest. Yeah, I mean if that makes sense. No, it, it totally does. I mean, you're, what what you said reminded me, and this is, I guess, would be my re- response to this question is that if you go back and watch the the one of the uh, developer uh, featurettes that they did for MGS4, you know, uh, Kojima said something I think is really interesting that has a lot of uh, application to uh, V. Uh, as and and so also does something that Ryan Payton said, and I'll get to that in a sec. But what Kojima said it was that when he designs uh, to the, to the question of whether he would ever make a movie, he said he wasn't sure if he would be the right person to do it. If I'm recalling what he said correctly, I don't want to quote him wrong, but he, I, I think you're right. Yeah, he said that because he would he would f- never stop like fine tuning every little thing, and that what he liked about games was that the the final touches on it are yours. And so that is the first thing to keep in mind. The second thing to keep in mind is Ryan Payton saying that the biggest mistake that he felt they made with Metal Gear Solid 4 was answering every question that there was to answer for the fan, uh, you know, like definitively and leaving no room for speculation. If you take these two together, it just seems like it kind of explains why it's it's a never-ending story in, in the best way possible. There, you can, you know, if you look at the cutscenes of Phantom Pain, it's like there's so much ambiguity even in the way that characters are are talking uh, to each other. And I, I'll have to think of an example there, but, you know, like, especially with characters like Miller, uh, because, you know, we learn at the very end of the game that the whole time he sort of had very much like in Peace Walker, you know, that at the very end that he's this all along when uh, he, he first learned that this not the real big boss, we never know. But at some point, he developed an ulterior motive and, you know, to to get revenge on big boss. And so you're, you're constantly now having to go through those cutscenes and reevaluate like, well, what did he really mean by that? And what did he really mean by this? And it totally changes the context depending on how you look at it. And I think that is... So, so to the extent that it's unfinished, I think that's really what it's about. Is that you can, it's if it is intentionally quote unquote unfinished. I think this is why it's it's so that you can constantly go back to the game, and it's net it'll it'll never be game over. Yeah. <laughs> With regards to the style and ambiguity <laughs> in one. the cutscenes, um, the big question there is, of course, how much of that is intentionally done in service to the meta. Let's say. And how much of that is just Kojima's cinephile tendencies coming out because he was really into the film Drive at the time? Right. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to say. And maybe it's just, maybe he, he has so many happy accidents that it's yeah. just, it's hard not to suspect that there's uh, intent in some of these areas. Yes, um, yeah. The thing about Ryan Payton's comments on MGS4 and answering all the questions uh, that's funny is that in those comments, he mentions that um, it killed the major Metal Gear Solid community at the time, Metal Gear Solid, the unofficial site. Huh. Um, and that was uh, a site I used to run with two other guys, and he's absolutely right. Uh, it, it killed the community almost overnight. Wow. Uh, we just ran out of things to talk about. Like, oh, what's this question? Oh, wait, check the database. Right. Um, it, it, yeah, it just kind of destroyed all discussion because once you suck the mystery out of something, there's nothing left. You know, MGS2 yeah. Yeah. ended on this ambiguous note where you could question it almost endlessly. And again, that was kind of the point of the, of the game. But once everything's been answered... You know, MGS4 comes along and is like, hey, that's a nice MGS2 you got there. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. 
Right. Um, <laughs> where do you go? Right. I think that is a good thing about MGSV, though. It just, like, cracked it back open again. <laughs> yeah, it's all this weird shit. There's a whale. Like, There's a whale. <laughs> yeah, and MGSV even opens with, you know, that, that famous oh, quote, man. there are no facts, only interpretations, and the game is very open to interpretation. Yeah. Yeah, it's nothing but. And that, to me, dovetails uh, with what I think is sort of the implicit, you know, subject matter of the game, which is totalitarianism. And I think, you know, especially if you look, I feel like the Ludens idea really got started with Phantom Pain, which to me, Ludens means, you know, tying together these disparate uh, referent points uh, and creating like a new meta narrative out of it, you know, connecting two movies or a book and a movie that, ne- you know, never went together before in, in interesting ways. And I think if you connect uh, 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 MGSV to uh, Moby Dick and, but more particularly for this subject, uh, 1984. You know, by George Orwell. I mean, he, you know, Winston even says in the novel that uh, the way he describes, you know, the the narrative that you're given by the party, you know, it's like nothing can uh, prove it or disprove it sort of a thing. It's like you're, you, you have nothing but the contradictions that they give you. And I think that's, that is a really big part of why there are, especially if you go and you try to compare, and believe me, I've done it, I've got a video coming out on this, where you compare the, the two versions of that mission, you know, the, the opening. It's like, well, they, there's no way to prove it. which is the real, you know, a, a, a recounting of events and which is his hallucination. You know, it's, you only have what the party, so to speak, you know, uh, Cypher or whoever it is that's, uh, rooting around in Venom Snake's mind with this weird hypnagogic therapy thing, you only have what they give you to really go on, and anything else is is left totally ambiguous. And that's what I love about it. Is I think it's sort of an anti uh, orthodoxy game in my reading of it. It's sort of an you know an anti system game because once something settles into a system, it dies. I think that's the big point they're trying to make there, and that's why you know Phantom Pain will never settle into one coherent system. There's just so many different ways to read it, you know. So that point that you said, yeah. you know, so many ways to read it, the ambiguity. Um, it's interesting that you guys say that because I agree, but sort of from a different angle. Um, you know, one of the t- one of the themes that I got from MGSV right. five, uh, either way you want to call it, um, one of the themes that I got from that, which really interested me, yeah. was you know the concept of cult of personality, where you know they had this image of Big Boss and. You know, when it comes to, you know, concepts like cult of personality, you know, everybody who follows that person, they just kind of fill in the blanks of what they want that person, what they want that person to evoke yeah. for them or how they want to feel about that person. So in that sense, when you have this like ambiguous setting um, where, you know, soldiers from all around the world get full ton and kidnapped back yeah. to mother base, but they absolutely love Big Boss, you know, I'd imagine it'd be a very similar situation, just this weird ambiguous experience um, that, like you said, is con- a little bit confusing, um, but yeah, ultimately you know funny? S- sets its message straight. I just watched that Living Color music video today. <laughs> just just earlier. I fucking love that song. Because it just popped into my head for some reason. And I was thinking, you know, if they ever did, if anyone ever did like a, a modern reimagining of that song, I wonder if they'd put Steve Jobs in it. Yeah. <laughs> Just like a, this stupid thought that popped into my head, but I had to go and watch that video, so it's kind of funny you bring it up. Oh, totally. I mean, yeah, I think it's very well said. You know, the cult of personality is is a huge part of the Phantom Pain, as far as I can tell. And I think, you know, Ocelot, I think at one point even says, you know, it takes a, a similar mind to understand 
somebody. And I think this is a big reason. That's sort of the game, seem, it seems to me, sort of trying to answer, well, why is the boss's will constantly being misunderstood? You know, it's because it's being appropriated by people who have no business, you know, at least it seems to me, appropriating it. They don't understand what she went through. They don't understand where she was coming from. And so it's inevitable that it's going to come out sort of twisted or, or different. And you can apply that in a sort of less uh, serious way to, you know, the individuals who are playing the game and, and what they're going to take away from it. Like, none of us uh, are Kojima. And, and in a way, the Kojima that we have in mind is in some ways, you know, much greater, much bigger and much smarter than the real human being, you know, Kojima ever could be. And I think that that's sort of something that the game is playing on. Uh, you know, providing it, it seems almost, um, if you go back and read Orwell wrote uh, an essay called Inside the Whale, and I think it sort of connects uh, to that as well, where it's, you know, in Inside the Whale, Orwell's talking about, well, what kind of writing can you really do in the age of totalitarianism, you know, because uh, the whole importance of the individual is something that he was writing this in the, I believe, the 30s or 40s. That was seeming like it was on its way out. You know, everything was about uh, different uh, orthodoxies, different uh, extreme, you know, uh, um, sort of parties, if you will. And he was saying, well, you know, what, what people really look for in these times is, uh, you know, a, a writer who can make them feel like it's just, you know, you and, and the writer. And everything else just kind of fades away, even though it's a totally, you know, fictional version of the writer that you have in, in mind. I think that's that's part of it. It's everyone who plays, and this has been true not only of Metal Gear, but you know, even Orwell's book, 1984. It's a similar thing. Like, how often do you see that book referenced by people that they ha clearly have no idea what the book was really about? You know, it's it's a similar thing. <laughs> everyone who plays Phantom Pain uh. thinks, ah, it's like MGS2 in in a, in a in a certain way. You know, people play it and it's ah, this this guy agrees with me. This is saying what I already think, but they don't understand. Nietzsche compared it to you put something behind a bush and then you pretend like, oh, I just stumbled on it. Wow, you know, you you were meant to find that because you already thought that. And I think that's part of it, you know? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But with that being said, you know, what is your next step, not in terms of Metal Gear videos, but in terms of, you know, what you want to do next? Is there a series that you think you can kind of pick apart and, you know, add, you know, historical references and context and so on and so forth? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, it's, it's really tough because... Um, I'd have to play uh, whatever game it would be, you know, and, and have to look up some of the subject matter that, that's being brought up. And I, I'm not sure that there is another series that you can you can do what I do uh, to the extent that I do it with Metal Gear. But yeah, I'm I'm even outside of games, like just like I don't know, like certain TV shows or or movie properties where you could like kind of go into the history of what what they were talking about. I mean, that's a good idea. Yeah, I, I definitely think you know we already mentioned Kubrick. I mean, there are a ton. Of, I I love movies and. I'd love to talk about movies as well, but you know, there is something about the format of games that I I really love, and um, part of what I try to do with my channel is I want it to be something very, very new, uh, very uh, sort of cutting edge, and yeah, I mean, I sort of came out of trying to be uh, a musician, and you know, that was sort of the problem for me, is that the style of music that I was making is a very crowded marketplace, you know, I mean, you can't really make rock music um, 
in the 21st century. There's just too much of it out there. And that experience influenced how I approach uh, what I do on YouTube. So for me, I'd really like for it to still be games because I think games are still, you know, the most, they are to today what, you know, rock music was to the 60s and 70s, you know, and I think yeah, as agreed. long as games, yeah, and as long as games are still that, then that's going to be what I want to gravitate to because I want to leave a kind of a legacy when I'm done where it's not just another YouTuber, uh, which no shade to other YouTubers. I mean, like, it's it's just, I don't want to be... Uh, a sort of a, a repeat of what's already out there. I, I love the idea of doing something that really excites me and feels like it's new and vital and, and important, uh, you know, but yeah. Yeah, we, we get what you're saying. <laughs> no, man, that, that's what makes a good YouTube channel for sure. So the reason I ask that question is because I was perusing through your YouTube video and I started with the Metal Gear stuff and yeah. then I kind of diverted into the Nier Atomica and GTA stuff. Oh, and nice. I guess that kind of like sparked my mind. And yeah, I think I would love more of that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to return to Rockstar's games. Uh, they're another, that's, thanks for reminding me actually of Rockstar. That's, an, that's a great answer to the question instead of my long-winded answer that I gave. That would have been a better <laughs> thing to say as a Rockstar. Uh, yeah, they, you know, I, looking back on those videos, I sometimes cringe a little. I'm like, because oh, my editing, I think, has gotten better. But yeah, I'd love to be able to come back to uh, Grand Theft Auto and you know Red Dead. Uh, they, pretty much any game Rockstar's made, I I, I tend to enjoy, uh, and I, I'd like to talk about. So yeah, but um, yeah, they're, they're phenomenal. Vice City alone, I feel like there's still more to say there. Uh, but that's. You know, that's maybe a subject for a different uh, conversation. Oh god, I just imagine like you just going into like the the crime scene, talking about like what was really going on in Vice City during that time. Oh man, yeah. during the eighties, <laughs> Miami. Fuck. I didn't know you did a video on 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 Near. I might have to go check that out now. I love that game. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for the follow up. You know, but I have never actually played the first Near. I don't know if you guys have, but um... I'm about halfway through it. Uh, it's it's definitely a different beast, and uh, if you're interested in that franchise, definitely uh, check out its predecessors, the Drakengard series. Right, 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 right. I'll have to. Those are uh, those are a trip. Yeah, Yoko Taro, man, it's uh, what a nut, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, automata, ato- automata. I don't know <laughs> which one's correct. I always I always say automata because it seems more correct, but I think. Even the developers say automata. Yeah, I'm not, not yeah, sure. I'm not sure. They both seem that fine one to me. Kind of drives me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> but that is the most optimistic nihilist game I have yeah. ever played, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. I definitely see that. <laughs> Big time. I mean, it's great. It's another. It looks. Yeah. It just it looks at the at the at the nihilist sort of dilemma and goes, "What's the answer?" Fuck you, that's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> and and I love that. <laughs> sort of like MGS2. You know, I think they're both existential games in that. It's an overused word, but I mean, yeah, I think that's what, what you're is, talking yeah, but, about. But I get it. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. But, you know, the, the downside to that, though, is that sometimes, and this is something I worry about, you know, in my own videos, is that sometimes people completely misunderstand when you try to present this idea of, well, there's no set definition to life in the world and you have to sort of find your own. People will come away uh, from that thinking, oh, so I can just make shit up. I can just think whatever, <laughs> right, you know, right, right. Uh, whatever benefits me, I can just say that's the truth. And anyone who disagrees, I can say they're lying. And, you know, it's bad faith is what you call that. And I just think that's, 
that's kind of something that I think is sad about uh, people may take away the wrong message from games like like Nier Automata or, or MGS2 or even Phantom Pain. You know, it's, oh, I can just do what I want. And it's like, well, you, it's, Sartre said, you know, we're condemned to be free. It's, it's a serious weight <laughs> on your back. Well put. Well, yeah, I mean, he's Sartre, right? <laughs> like, if, so, right. I mean, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I love that phrase, though. Yeah, that was kind of a dumb statement. Please No, 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 I, 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 didn't mean, I didn't mean to say that. I was just saying, wow, it's an impressive, it's an impressive statement coming from Sartre, you know? Um, and, yeah. No, I get you, I get yeah. you. But that's, that's what I think is the message of, of, of these games, you know? It's, it's not just make shit up and who cares and one rule for me and a different rule for everybody else. It's you have to really think about what do you really honestly believe is the way to live life and actually go out and try to put it into practice. And it's terrifying, you know? It's scary. Uh, but that's the, going back to what we were saying before. Like, that's why I love these types of games where it's not just to pass the time. It's really presenting scenarios that get you to think deeply about life and and how to live yeah i think this really is the only series uh, for me that i i can sit around and talk this much about you know i mean i'm sure that there are other series i could talk about for a little bit but you know this is our 20th episode so you know this is 20 episodes of talking about pretty much the same game series the whole time so Oh yeah, no, it's yeah. I feel you, man. It's and it's cool just hearing the different perspectives because like everybody has you know just a, is coming at these games from like a different life and a different perspective and just they're gonna all look at it differently, just like people did the bosses will absolutely and, uh, take away different things from it. And Jordan, like you said, um, it does sort of lead you into other avenues as well. Yeah, because uh, you know maybe maybe this is a bit of a cliche. But early on, when uh, I started to look into Kojima's tastes more, that exposed me to Joy Division and New Order and the entire Madchester music scene. Right. And, and that just set me off like a rocket. And it, it, in a lot of ways, defined my musical taste because I'd never been exposed to that kind of music before. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's totally it. I mean, and, and movies, too. I mean, you know, it's 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 like it's a gateway drug like we were saying before you know i mean it's i even love I, i'm sure you guys are familiar you know there isn't there a scene that they cut from mgs1 where snake talks about how much he loves french movies when he's getting tortured by ocelot i i'll have to find that um <laughs> i don't remember that yeah, it's hilarious if you go i think it's ringing a bell but it's been a while there is yeah. no geneva convention but there is high quality movie talk right <laughs> 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 yeah <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and that's what I really appreciated about, you know, Phantom Pain is that they were able to actually, for the first time, I guess, put in a bunch of licensed songs, you know, and at first when I saw them, I was like, I didn't really get why these songs are in there. And I'm not going to say that every single song in the Phantom Pain has some sort of deeper meaning, you know, but, but even if you look at something that's become almost a meme, like, you know, the final countdown or whatever, you know, it's a, that song's about, I think, uh, you know, nuclear Armageddon. Or uh, dancing with tears in my eyes. Uh, I think it's by uh, Japan. Uh, that's a member of that band was Midge Ur, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was in Japan and and Ultravox. Uh, and at any rate, whether or not Midge Ur was in the band, that song "Dancing with Tears in My Eyes" supposedly was written after Chernobyl. You know, so there. This is what I meant by the Ludens thing, and how I feel like it's kind of got started with Phantom Pain, where you actually look into the background to these things that are being referenced. You know, and it's it's crazy the stuff you'll find. Like I didn't know for a long time that uh, Skullface. Uh, 
I guess he's quoting Strangelove. I think Strangelove in Peace Walker says something like, we are the, the walking dead or something. But but the way that Skullface says it, I think, is a direct quote from 1984. You know, Winston says to Julia, like, he's trying to get her to understand the severity of the situation, and she doesn't get it because she's so young that she's never known anything else. And he's like, we we are the dead, you know. Um, and that, that's a line that, yeah, it gets echoed in Phantom Pain. And, of course, the, the obvious ones, like, you know, call me Ishmael. It's a very literary game. I mean, Phantom Pain, and in a way, I think that's sort of because books are kind of a dead art form. And I think a lot of the things that are being referenced in Phantom Pain, you know, are kind of about uh, a, a past that's irretrievable once it's gone. You know, I could go on about this, but um, if you just think about how Skullface said, and it's actually a, an, an argument that I had with a commenter that made me realize this. Um, he says, you know, words to control the subconscious. And I mistakenly uh, misremembered that as unconscious because today, uh, you know, uh, psychologists don't really say subconscious anymore because it, it has Freudian implications. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of been discredited, uh, Freud, uh, as in terms of uh, psychology. He's looked at more now as basically a philosopher, you know, who's just coming up with this shit from his armchair, not really uh, <laughs> doing enough uh, empirical testing, but that's something that's being you know, referenced by Phantom Pain. And it seems very uh, deliberate how they use uh, subconscious. Or The other big example here is the Sapir Whorf thesis, which if you talk to a linguist today, some of them anyway, they'll really get mad if you bring up Sapir Whorf because it's not in vogue anymore. The idea, Sapir, the Sapir Whorf thesis is that uh, words you know, shape our thoughts. And that's, that's not really uh, a popular point of view. It hasn't been since, like, I think the 70s or so, because Noam Chomsky, uh, who obviously people know him as a political commentator, but he actually, his background is, is in linguistics, he came up with this idea of universal grammar, that there are certain uh, things that are just universal to all human minds, that, and that's why we have language. But it, I, I, roughly, if I understand it correctly, the idea is that we don't really think in words, that we think in something more abstract that then later on gets translated into words. And so evoking that is a way of evoking a past that no longer exists, you know, and it's a main uh, point for Phantom Pain to do so. So so not to bring the intellectual level of the conversation down no. here, but on the subject of 1984, yeah. when it comes to the film, Michael Radford or Rudolf Cartier? I mean, I, I've only seen the film a couple of times, so I'm, I'm not even sure. Are you talking about directors or? Well, there's, there was the, the Rudolph Cartier mm-hmm. version, which um, was the BBC version. Oh, okay. If you've ever seen that. That was the first film rendition of 1984. And then there was the Michael Radford one. Ah, that is it in black and white, the original? Yeah. Okay, I've seen yeah. clips of that. Yeah. And it, yeah, it takes some liberties and kind of goes off in a different direction, but it's still pretty interesting. So I was just curious what your thoughts were. Yeah, I mean, I'll have to actually watch it in full, you know, now that you bring it up. I didn't know that it um, was well-respected. Well um, I, I should have you know, done more reading on it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I like the movie version. Um, to some extent, I, I guess I prefer it as a book. Just because, yeah, you know, not <laughs> good answer. No, I'm not trying to be a dick. I just, you know, <laughs> no, I got you. I got it. Just giving you a hard time. Ju- mainly because, you know, and this is something I guess that that literature shares with games. You know, is that you're so much in a character. Well, at least books written in the 20th century, the style. You're so much in the subjectivity of the character. You know, 
And it's sometimes difficult to convey that in a movie because you're seeing things, uh, they do a pretty good job. If you watch uh, the, the one that came out in the year 1984, uh, uh, they, they have certain sequences like dream sequences and stuff in there and it's very surreal yeah. and, and that's cool. But you know, in the book, it's something a bit more abstract and I think that's, um, I, I don't know, I kind of prefer that, but I mean, yeah, I'll have to. Well, no one's ever going to be a better director than your own mind. Exactly. When you're reading a book. That's a much. Yeah, that's a great way to put what I was trying to say. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to capture that, you know, on on screen. Yeah, but still, that eurythmic soundtrack, man. Oh, it's so good. It is, and I, uh, from my understanding, and you probably know more than I do about this, but uh, supposedly the director hated it. <laughs> yeah, he did, and it's the better version because the orchestral soundtrack yeah. sucks. Oh yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get. I would. I would love to get a vinyl of that someday. I guess I get why he didn't like the Eurythmics version, but to me, I think he kind of missed the point because, you know, I, it's kind of an upbeat uh, soundtrack in a lot of spots, and I, maybe that wasn't yeah. the issue for him. But to me, it, it fits perfectly. You know, the mania of it, and you just—I don't know. Yeah, it adds sort of a surreal quality to it. Big time. Big time. I'm a big fan of that movie, so... <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, it's... A, I mean, my only... I guess my only small complaint... It's not even so much a complaint with the movie. It's more just... I think that the the book gets kind of marginalized sometimes because people only see it as about Stalinism. You know, and it definitely is about Stalinism, but um, not to go on a whole tangent, but yeah, I think that it's... The, the, the whole point to me of Ingsoch and all that and and this you know connects back to the phantom pain is that it's sort of devoid of an ideology at its core it's 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 nothing right, but right. contradictions and i guess that is stalinism but it's it's a stand in for almost anything it's a, a cipher if you will you know you could you can use yeah. it to, to uh, i think he was tapping into something that is much more uh timely and uh uh, continually timely, then if yeah. you just see it as about Stalinism, well, it kind of loses its relevance when Stalin dies in 1954 you know, or whatever. But I think it's talking about right. something d deeper, more fundamental to modern politics in a way. Well, Orwell himself even said that it was based chiefly on communism and how that was, at the time, the predominant form of totalitarianism, so that's what he wrote about. But mm. no, I think you're exactly right. It's sort of a, it speaks out sort of general, generationally yeah. and, and almost kind of serves as an inoculation against these bad ideas. Yes. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But I do think people, and I, I know this is a podcast about Metal Gear, not 1984, so I'm sorry to... <laughs> right, we're getting kind of in the weeds yeah, here. Yeah, but the last thing I guess we can, I'll say about it is that I, I do also think people mistake Winston as the hero. And I don't really know right, that, that's, yeah. that that's true, you know, uh, again, because we're seeing it through his... It's like the Breaking Bad syndrome, you know? People hate Skyler... They love Walt, <laughs> yeah. but it's all because it's being told through Walt's point of view. And, and I, I don't think people factor that in uh, well enough when it comes to both Breaking Bad and 1984, where it's like, you know, if you really think about it, you know, Winston, uh, it's kind of, he, he gets corrupted by a lot of the things that uh, are being presented and I think being uh, interpreted, you know, by people as being like absolutely true, uh, you know, in a way, Winston uh, gets um, manipulated and seduced 
uh, by certain things. And so a, a lot's going on there. Again, to bring it back to Phantom Pain, it's kind of like his journey is kind of like, I guess, Venom Snake's journey where, you know. Um, Very much. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, you know, the more he goes along, the more he, he doesn't even realize it until it's too late, you know, that he's completely uh, been been suckered in. And that brings up, you know, something. I made a video, uh, I, it was basically a 40-minute, it was the entire album by David Bowie of Diamond Dogs. I said it, I, I made like a little musical uh, about Phantom Pain set to to Diamond Dogs. Um, and that's that's a big theme in the album too, is, you know, the... the the uh, what's the word I'm looking? It's, it's not perversion. It's maybe the degradation of the human soul, you know. The, the and and we see that in Phantom Pain, you know, even from the very beginning. Like he's he's when it starts, just another day in a, in a war without end, you know. And he's completely. You see all the drugs on the table, and it's like he doesn't even know where he is. It seems like like he. It's the only way for him to stay alive is this like like drug-like stupor, you know, that he, that he has to be in. And, and then the only thing that makes sense to him in that moment is the tape, you know, that, that the tape that he's given, ah, this explains everything. But who knows? I mean, I'm not even convinced that Venom Snake... And then he embraces it anyway. Yeah, because he has nothing else, I guess, you know? I, I, I yeah. guess. And even to, to this day, I'm not entirely convinced that Venom Snake is uh, not the, the real big boss, <laughs> And the the real big boss oh, is not Venom Snake, you know, because when you see uh, Ishmael in, in the beginning, he seems so much more like the mythic big boss, like an artificial, you know, he's got the one liners, you know, we, we gave her a light. She took the short, you know, the short way down or whatever. He's more like uh, almost like Raiden's view of Snake before. Um, well, even Pliskin kind of seems like a mythic version of Snake because it's it's from the outside, the perspective on him. Yeah, um, yeah. MGS2 plays with the whole idea of him being a legend and sort of tearing that idea down of like, well, yeah, you can you can look at this legend and admire it and and idealize it, but you start to to take a closer look, it's really not all that great. Yes, yeah, and it, to me, it's really you know, Phantom Pain is actually to me a very horrifying game. Uh, very much. And, and yeah. th- you know, it's funny because Huey is a good example of that as someone who you're, you know, is constantly demonized and for good reason, to yeah. be fair. Yes. But he's also absolutely right. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like the Skylar effect. It's just the Huey effect. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I was thinking of, uh, I was thinking of the <laughs> onion article. That's like the worst person, you know, has a point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's true. It's true, and that that sort of goes off the whole anti-orthodoxy thing, you know, where you know an orthodoxy, whatever it is, and I'm not trying to make a false equivalency here because some orthodoxies are much worse than others, right? But uh, in general, an orthodoxy comes in and says, you know, this other group of people, their way of seeing the world is absolutely bad, and you have nothing that you can really gain from them. Um, and that, you know, to me, a big topic covered by Phantom Pain is, you know, I wish I could use a less bullshit, pretentious word for it, but I don't know uh, of one other than uh, pe- pedagogy or pedagogy, which, whichever. Being taught, being taught things. Uh, I think this is why, and I'm working on a video on this, but, you know, if you think about it, all the books that are referenced by the Phantom Pain, uh, 1984, Moby Dick, Lord, uh, Lord of the Flies, uh, Heart of Darkness, they all tend to be books that are taught to, uh, you know, kids at formative years in English classes 
or around the world for when people are learning English. You know, often when you learn a new language, they give you a book. Once you get to a point where you can read it to help you, you know, uh, 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 learn the language more. And I think this is sort of part of it. It's, it's like when you're playing Phantom Pain, you're sort of being brought into its weird world, its weird logic. And it is almost like a language in a weird way. So uh, are you going to make a spec ops? Uh, Heart of Darkness video. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> oh, I should. It's a good oh, game. I love that game. Mostly because it is yeah. just like Call of Duty Heart of Darkness. It's, it's everything I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> With that being said, um, we'll get into Q&A. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Dylan Belcher 18. He asked, uh, what tropes and cliches do you think MGS, uh, any game in the series... Uh, started and are still being used in, in current games. So I think this is an interesting Ooh. angle for it because, you know, the influence is one thing, but, you know, cliche and tropes is, you know, kind of another perspective. That's a good question. I mean, to me, the big one that would jump out, most of the ones that jump out to me are more formal than they are, like, story-based. Because I, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think MGS1 was the first game to do, you know, uh, real-time gameplay over the credits, you know, like the credit, uh, you know, the credits play of the developers and stuff. And I'm, I feel like that's pretty much a standard now uh, of having a scene, especially in a big, you know, cinematic game or whatever, where you're playing through the game, but the credits, you know, come on screen. Um, you know, I feel like also the whole uh, digital fusion thing that I, I guess Kojima came up with uh, about combining, you know, instead of using, you know, glossy pre-rendered uh, 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 cutscenes like I guess JRPGs, you know, in the PlayStation era would do, putting everything for the most part, you know, all in the same uh, style, I guess you could say, of rendering. I think that's that sort of be- became modern gaming. Like everything. And that, that may just have been inevitable, you know, because of the technology reaching a point where that was that was possible to do. But it'd be stuff like that to me. As far as the story stuff, I mean, to me, Metal Gear is its own weird universe. And I feel like, you know, if you tried to... Uh, I saw... I, I don't play the Call of Duty games, but I, I think I read a synopsis of one of the, you know, the future warfare or whatever it was called. And I think it said something in there about a private military company and a rail gun or something. So there are certainly people out there, I guess, who will who will do little references and stuff to it. But yeah, I mean, to me, it'd be mainly formal stuff that, that's just become codified as part of the medium. I don't know if you guys have anything that comes to mind. Uh, Everyone wants to be cinematic. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> you know, this might be an unpopular opinion, but the only game series I feel that has come close, and I don't mean that it's hit it. I mean, it's come close to hitting the same tone as Metal Gear, and I don't, you know, not, like, I'm trying to be very specific here, because I don't feel like it reaches the same level in terms of detail or in methodology or directing style or anything, things, but the, but in terms of, like, broad tone, I feel like the mm-hmm. Far Cry games sort of approach mm. that territory in how they blend realism with magical realism, and there's, like, sort of a, a give and take there. Yeah, I can see that. So, definitely see um, that. I'm going to go... More hallucinogenic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they usually ground it pretty hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm going to take a little bit of a different angle. Um, I wouldn't exactly say that, you know, MGS 
directly caused this, uh, but it definitely, I feel like, you know, daisy chained that influence at least. Um, and that is uh, just the concept of fourth wall breaking in a video game. I mean, it's, oh, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, obviously yeah. it's been done by other games, but like when I was playing Undertale, I was like, Toby Fox must be Kojima's yes. bastard son because right? I, I, like with like the first flowey fight, like I felt like I was yeah. back in Arsenal gear naked. I mean, it was the same yes. sort of experience that I had when I was 11. And then from Undertale, I kind of saw influence from there. It, it sort of spurred out into these other sort of like fourth wall breaking games, games that mess with your operating system and make you go to your file explorer to like, beat something. I think that's Stoki Doki Literature Club. But in any case, you know, just that concept, you know, it I think it hit like Metal Gear hit the nail on it and it's been a thing ever since. That is the answer. Yeah. You know, I've been wondering um if there's anywhere left to go. Undertale, love it or hate it, seems like that's peak video games meta in a lot of ways. Like, is there is there anywhere else to go from there in terms of self-reference? Yes, that's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, yeah, it's, maybe you could even say it's not as good of an answer as as you just gave. But uh, going off your point about fourth wall breaking, I mean, in a way, I, the, how games try to subvert your expectation, you know, to the extent that they do. I think that's that's also sort of part of the legacy, I guess, of Metal Gear. And I mean, that's, you know, going back to Nier, how it's, you know, uh, that's more fourth wall breaking, I guess. But, um, you know, how, like, it seems like you die in the beginning and um, you, you keep, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, that's just more fourth wall breaking. So that's not a very good response. <laughs> uh, it seems like that's the, really, the answer to the question is the one you just gave. Like, the, the fourth wall breaking uh, is definitely going to be, I think, probably over time, the number one thing that you know they've passed on. But 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 to your point, uh, Nitroid, uh, I don't know. Maybe Undertale is the peak fourth wall because it they they. I, I, that's what I love about that game, you know, especially at the end, uh, where it's like it keeps you know killing you and reloading and killing you and reloading. Like right. that is pretty awesome. Yeah. Like yeah. Like, how much further can we mess with the system? I mean, I suppose we now have new consoles that are going to have new features that we can mess with. I wonder, for example, like, what mechanics are developers going to come up with that are going to take advantage of the haptic feedback on the PS5's controller? You know, that's that's a new area that we can now explore and possibly manipulate in ways you might not expect. But, um, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Somebody's going to, like, break their finger on that thing when it just locks up and doesn't push down and they just go full force (laughs) on it and just doesn't budge. Like, that would be a great way to communicate someone not wanting to pull the trigger. Yeah. Um, Yeah, ID locked gun. It's interesting because, you know, we're talking about, I'm looking at it more from, like, a lore or a story angle with the fourth wall breaking now, how we can, you know, put those gaming concepts into gameplay concepts into the story. Um, and the, the yeah. two big examples that I think about outside of Undertale, obviously, um, I don't know if you guys played Destiny, um, but the way it, wor- I did. it the way it works is that, like, like for instance, um, there's a robot class or a robot race, and their names are always like one one is named Banshee Forty Four, and some like and that's the number beside them is supposed to be how many times their memory has been wiped, um, but really it's sort of a mm. reference to how you know people have usernames with like a, a word, and then 
like a few letters. Uh, so that's the way that they interpreted, you know, gamer tags is they, they associated them with the different races in Destiny. And then the second one I have, which is a little more relevant to this podcast, is I almost feel like like the whole concept of a, how am I pronouncing this right, a repatriate um, kind of addresses that too, where, you know, uh, Sam is this this being who can overcome death. So, of course, he's the one that should be responsible for completing this video game because he's capable of doing it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. I mean, and it, you know, to me, what you're describing there also, it's, you know, in in movies or in books or whatever, you know, it's, it's, you call it, I guess, uh, when form matches content. And I think that's, that's what Kojima's games have, have done so well. One thing that seems to be emerging as, I don't know if you'd say it's a trend per se, but it, it does seem to be something that maybe comes from Metal Gear, you know, which I noticed, I don't know if you guys got a chance to play the remake of uh, Final Fantasy VII. Oh, but yeah. the way that you, yep. you know, it's sort of re- recursive. Like you, if you really want to, to really dig deep into that game and see all that there is, you have to replay a lot of it. And it's sort of broken into these chapters where, you know, you can go back at different points and try things out and uh, see different paths the way that it goes. And that really reminded me, you know, especially of the the later era of Metal Gear, you know, like Peace Walker and Phantom Pain. The one only complaint I guess I'd have that I think Phantom Pain did better is that it seems that in Phantom Pain, it's always keeping track of your progress. So, you know, if you go back, they'll sort of be scaled to your uh, level of, uh, you know, your weapons or whatever. Like, so, so it's still yeah. more of a challenge. Whereas in Final Fantasy, if you want to go back and, and do like some side quest near the end, it's, it's kind of, uh, it'll be like a huge drop down in terms of difficulty. So... Yeah, enemies are little pushovers, <laughs> low level. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to say, with regards to Destiny, since you brought that up, days for me, it was all downhill after they took out the loot cave. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, like the loot cave, and what was his name, Randall? Yeah, something like that. Uh, <laughs> and it kind of works with the game too, because they have those sort of like gameplay elements where people exploit things and it almost fits into the narrative of like these crazy ass guardians who can do anything they want because they always just resurrect uh so why not just shoot the single alien for a bunch of purple ingrams that will give you blue gear yeah (laughs) you know it's interesting to bring up final fantasy 7 remake um and i know we've talked about it before but that's also sort of getting into the same kind of mgs2 meta area where it's looking at the concept of a remake and the ex- the expectations of a remake and for better or worse is poking holes in that big time yeah yeah i can see that for sure and i know a lot of people were mad about the stuff that they changed and i i don't necessarily understand why uh i thought it was cool it's a kind of a refreshing you know step i will say that i have no idea how they're going to make this work in terms of a multi-game yeah. release, like, yeah. w- are you going to start out at level one again in the next game and lose all your materia? And if not, like, I'm, I'm a little worried, honestly, and about how that's going to work, and it doesn't really seem like they've thought it out. I've heard people before. say uh, <laughs> or th- throw a theory out that it's just going to be like Yuffie coming and just stealing everybody's materia. Yeah. And it's yes. like, oh, shit, back to square one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. She stole our weapons and armor, too. Oh, well. Well, she's going to have to come back a couple of times. Like, yeah. how many more games are there going to be? You know, that's the other thing. <laughs> that bitch did it again. <laughs> yeah, god damn it. We should have seen this coming. Can't trust yeah. it. 
Well, yeah. cool, man. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on, Jordan. Uh, if you want to plug your channel and where people can find you on social media. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, if man. you guys ever want yeah, to really enjoy it. Just, yeah. yeah. Appreciate it, man. Just reach out. I'll, I'll be back if you guys want. Just reach out. Um, cool. Yeah, you guys can find my uh, YouTube channel. It's uh, Futura Sound Productions uh, on YouTube. And you can also, I just go by Futura Sound on Twitter. And uh, I, I guess I have a Patreon, too, if you want to check that out. It's the same thing, pa- uh, patreon.com slash Futura Sound. Rock on. Yeah. Cool, man. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks again for coming on the show, buddy. Thanks again. Oh, yeah. Talk to you guys later.